Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here at Frisco East. How many feeling good today? Feeling uh, excited? Man, such good, good songs, that, that old hymn, How Great Thou Art. Um, uh, today, before I dive into Philippians, uh, the, the third week of this series, third chapter of the book, uh, I want to highlight movement. It's our student conference this weekend. I'm going to be speaking Friday night, but that's unimportant to what really is going on in that uh, or this weekend. And if you have a middle school student or a high school student, I just can't tell you, uh, encourage you enough to maybe uh, ground them to go get them around the head with a, in a headlock, whatever you got to do, because you never know, and I'm kidding, but you never know what retreat, conference, camp, mission trip gets a hold of someone's heart. And it was at a camp in Kerrville, Texas for me that God got a hold of my heart in a, in a recommitted way, and I've never been the same. And so that's my prayer for the weekend, is, is that they would encounter the grace, the love, and the power of God in their lives, and that they would never be the same. And so I encourage you, if you have a middle school, high school student, whatever campus you go to, or maybe online, and, and you have uh, middle school or high school students, encourage you, get them signed up. Today is the deadline, midnight tonight. So um, uh, get, that, get that going in your house, and I, I think it might be good for them. I know it will be, and it'll be good for your home. Uh, today, Philippians chapter 3, over the last several weeks, we, we started this book. It's an overview of the book not a verse by verse, but it's an overview of the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, week one, here's where we've been, chapter one, we talked about God's work, our response. And the two points were beginning, continuing, and finishing our faith is God's work. And this may be different for some of you, but some of us had this approach that I, I, God does what he does, I do what my, I do to get saved and to stay saved. A lot of the way I was raised was kind of like, hey, I got to do my part, and God does his part, and we work together for a great team. No. God, fin God begins, God continues, and God finishes the work. Now, in response to that, our response, we apply ourselves to grow in our faith. So we say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And in response, I apply myself not to be approved by God. There's nothing that we have to offer. But in response to your goodness and your grace, I apply myself to walk in or to move toward the center of your purpose for my life in every way. Chapter two, we talked about relationships, the why and how of relationships. And the why is that our mission matters. Jesus said that when the world looks at us, they will know that we are believers or disciples or Christians by our love for one another. How, we, how well we love one another is a proof, so to speak, to the world around us that's watching. And, you know, maybe we've lost some relevance over the last, you know, 100 years or whatever in the church, maybe the last couple of decades, our voice not relevant. They see us and we're fighting with one another. Can I just tell you, there's other churches, great churches in this area. Wayne Broderick at Frisco Bible, Afshin over at Providence, Chuck Martin at First Baptist, Jim and Paul over at Preston Trail. I mean, so great friends of mine. We don't agree on every little theological issue, and they have every right to be wrong. But, <laughs> but, but we love each other, 
I mean, there's no reason in the world we should be fighting one another. We have enough enemy outside. Does it make sense? So loving, it's because people are watching, and we, it matters how we treat one another. And the how is we follow the example of Jesus. What did he do? He sacrificed himself. He gave up his divine privileges and his entitlement, and he humbled himself. Today, chapter 3, we're going to talk about spiritual depth. A lot of talk about this. What does it look like to be spiritually deep? What does a church that's spiritually deep look like? What does a Christian who is spiritually deep, what does that, what does that look like? I mean, and there's many things that we could uh, describe depth. I mean, and when I say spiritual, I'm, I'm speaking of Christ-following spiritual. I'm not talking about just spiritual in any context. I'm talking about following Jesus, and we're spiritually minded, and, and we're deep in that regard. What does that look like? Because for a lot of us, that's confusing, because it may, it may mean for us that, oh, we know a lot of Scripture, and so we're spiritually deep, or we have degrees behind our name, theologically speaking, and, and that makes us deep, or we uh, worship a certain way, and we're responsive in our worship, and so that makes me deep. We're prophetic, and, and we speak words, and 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 we do things like that, and I'm not making fun of any of those things. All those things could be mature in, 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 in someone's life, and we could be spiritually deep in those ways. But Paul lines out in chapter 3 a totally different approach or way in which he describes spiritual maturity. And, and I promise you this week, as you read chapter 3, my hope is that you will read chapter 3 this week. Again, we're going to read the whole chapter in chunks and we're going to see what or how Paul describes spiritual depth because it's depth because it's going to look a little different than maybe what you thought, maybe what I thought. Now, chapter four next week is going to be part two of spiritually deep or spiritual depth because he goes on. He just kind of goes on in chapter four to to talk about what does it look like to really be deep in one's faith. So here's where we're going to go. I'm going to give you four observations. After those observations, I'm not going any other scripture but Philippians 3. And that's a little uncommon. Usually I throw in all kinds and I love to do that. But, but today we're going to stay in Philippians chapter 3. It's self-explanatory. First observation of what does it look like to be spiritually deep, and that is spiritual joy. Now there are many kinds of joy, perhaps, let me say it that way. Sometimes we, we synonymously use happiness with joy. Um, when our football team, when our football team wins the Super Bowl, we are joyous or we are happy. Now, we haven't been happy in a long time, but, <laughs> but it's okay. We have the future to look forward to. But there are things that happen in your life that become joyful, a birth of a, of a child. I just had a second grandbaby, grandson, uh, born, and it, uh, so much joy or happiness attached to that. Um, but what I want to kind of hopefully describe for us today is, is a different kind of joy or a different kind of happiness, a, a joy that is consistent, because how many understand that one day we can be filled with joy or happiness, and the next day something happens and we are very, very sad? The, and that's okay. We're, we're designed that way. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. What, what I want to try to describe, and what I think Paul describes, is this constant, where spiritually speaking, not circumstantially speaking, 
But spiritually speaking, there is a consistent understanding of joy no matter what. Now, let me go to the passage, and it's going to outline it for us tremendously. Verse 1, chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. There are a few things here that are key. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord, safeguard your faith. Let's talk about whatever happens. When we talk about or when we see or read whatever happens, how many go to the negative? Right? When Paul describes whatever happens, you think, oh yeah, so when bad things happen, I need to be joyful. Rightfully so. There's no question about that. When bad things or challenging things happen in our lives, many times some of us grow grow closer to the Lord in trying times, in challenging times. The times get tough. Things are very, very difficult in our lives, perhaps even right now. And many of us move toward the Lord and we leverage that, that relationship and we leverage the word and we say, God, I need you. We sing that song, I need you now. You did it for David, you did it for Mary, you did it for Moses. Please, I'm praying. You know, some of us leverage that and we draw close to God, but many times in challenges, many of us back up from God and grow distant because we're, we're, we're angry, we're frustrated, we feel like you're not answering my prayer, do you care about my life? And so those challenges have a tendency to distance us from the Lord. I should say we choose to distance ourselves from the Lord. Now, in those whatever happened times, Paul describes that you are, we are to remain in a consistent pattern. This is not an unrealistic thing, by the way, or super spiritual. Like, like you got to be full of joy all the time, and no matter what happens, you ignore reality. We're designed and emotionally designed creatures that are sad and mournful. And, and even the Bible says there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to laugh, there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There are different things that go on in our lives that are give and take and that we manage the tensions. Sometimes we're really, really on the mountains. Sometimes we're really in the valley. But the secret to spiritual depth is a consistent understanding that I can have joy in the Lord no matter what happens. Now, those are the challenging times, but I I want us to think about it in a different way. What about in the good times? Everything's up and to the right. Business is going good, family's going decent, our kids are halfway decent, right, as far as behavior, and, and, and we're just like, yeah, and, and especially I would say in our area, in our culture, the success of life and the opportunities that we have of business and I'm not demeaning any of those things, those are all great things and important things. But I think that sometimes in those good times, there is a high temptation for distraction. And we get our mind off of the Lord. We get our mind off of the consistent understanding that we're to rejoice in everything, whatever happens, good and bad, when, it's, when we're victorious and when we're on the mountain and when we're in the valley and when we're challenged in the victories and the defeats. And I think that sometimes in our victories, we get distracted and we get, 
self-centered and we, we're consumed with what we're doing and with what we're accumulating and with what we can get. And we, again, live in an area that is, you know, very successful. And that's okay. As believers, though, hear me, we rejoice in the Lord no matter what. In the good, high up and to the right, making all kinds of money. You can travel wherever you want and do whatever you want. It's awesome. Don't forget, we rejoice in the Lord in those times. And in those, we're not distracted by our wealth. We're not distracted by our success. We're not distracted by our career. We're not distracted by the good things that happen. But we are leveled. We are consistent. When we're challenged, we move toward the Lord. When we're in the awesome, victorious, successful life, we move to the Lord. It's a consistent pattern of joy. That's the first thing. And then he says rejoice. So there's this whatever happens, good or bad, but then there's, there's this consistent pattern of joy where we just find our identity not in our circumstances, not on our defeats or our successes, but we find our joy in the Lord. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy because, again, when things, good things happen, oh, yay, it's awesome, man. How are things? How are you doing? Oh, great. Highly favored of the Lord. Golly, really? Got to say that? It's just, just, we're always highly favored of the Lord. We're always grateful and have reason to be grateful. Does it make sense? So that's the consistent pattern of joy. So whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, listen, he says, I do it, to, I say these things to safeguard your faith. Now let me, again, the context of this book, Paul writes from prison. Now, when I talk about joy, or when we talk about joy, James talks about it. Count it all joy when you fall into different trials or challenges of your faith because it is a maturing process. You know, that, how many know that I don't like that scripture, right? It's like, I don't want to be joyful when I fall into different trials or whatever. But if anybody could speak with integrity, because you could look at me and say, John, bucko, nothing bad happens to you. you don't, you've never walked in my shoes. You don't know what it's like to be betrayed, or you don't know what it's like to do, or you know what, you fall in the blank, right? And so, rightfully so, you could say that, and it's not that I've had an easy time all the time, but I understand that I'm teaching this, and it, it appears that I could be saying to you that, oh, I'm always joyful, man, I got this mastered. Can I just tell you, nobody has that mastered. We all struggle with this, and we're all in this together. Paul, though, starts this church. You remember the context of this in chapter 1? He starts this church at a riverbank in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, which is a very successful, it's on the road, the Roman road, and he starts this with a small group of people, and then he, he's having meetings, having meetings, and then he's thrown into prison. He's beaten with Rahim and Silas, thrown in prison, beaten within an inch of their lives, and then they're asked, they're released and asked to leave the city. And then he goes to another city and another city, and then he finds himself in prison again. And from prison, he writes this book. And in chapter 3, he says, whatever circumstance, rejoice in the Lord. So you don't have to listen to me and say, well, it's easy for you to say. Well, it's easy for any of us to say, to rejoice in the Lord, just have victory or whatever. But Paul is coming from a challenge. In fact, he's not done anything wrong. It's not like he evaded taxes and he's in prison because, you know, he didn't pay his Roman taxes. It's not like he stole something from someone or killed somebody. He, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he writes from prison and he tells the people of Philippi, the church that he loved, the church that he started, he says, hey guys, just learn to rejoice in everything. And I'd say these things 
to safeguard your faith. Now, what does that mean, safeguard my faith? Well, how many know that when bad things happen to you, there is a tendency to go or get frustrated with God? get disillusions, uh, you know, a leader falls in some form or fashion, and it's like, oh man, what am I going to do if he can't? Listen, those things are real, those things happen, but can I tell you that Paul says, hey, I say these things, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord, because I don't want you to get disillusioned, I don't want you to get distracted with the good things, I want you to be, I want you to be safe in your faith no matter what happens, and a way in which we do that, in other words, how are we spiritually deep? It's not because we memorized Scripture or we do calisthenics during worship. You can do flips all around here. I don't care. Well, I do care. I'll stop you. But the point is, because I don't want you to distract anybody, but the, the point is, that's not really always what spiritual depth is. Having joy in the good and the bad, safeguarding our faith. Does this make sense to you? Man, it's so good. So let me put it on the screen like this. Evidence of spiritual depth in our lives is learning to find and live in the joy of the Lord no matter our circumstances. That's, the, that's depth. That is easier said than done. I've walked the road with some of us here in this church who have faced unspeakable tragedy. Unbelievable hurt and pain in life. And yet, they have found a joy in the Lord no matter what. Very, very important key. He starts this chapter with that. Second observation, spiritual confidence. I'm just going to dive right into the verse. It's uh, verse uh, uh, 2 through 9. Let's read what Paul has to say about confidence. Watch out for those dogs. Now, again, let me just say this. Paul, again, is writing back this letter to his church in Philippi. He starts this church with Jewish people, and that's usually what he did. He'd find, because he was Jewish, and he finds some Jewish people who were worshiping, in a, in a, and they were at the riverbank. There's just a few of them, and then it turns into this church, and it, and it grows and grows. They were Jewish people who had converted or believed in what Paul preached, and that Jesus was the Messiah. Jewish people, Old Testament, were waiting for the Messiah. So they are Jewish people, for the most part. Some Gentiles spread in there and sprinkled in there. But then he says, there are some Jewish people who are trying to get you to believe that you have to be circumcised in order to complete your salvation. Here's what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Now, here's the confidence part. We, we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in myself, now Paul's going to go off. He's going to go on. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And he's like, hey, listen to me. Watch me because I'm, I have many things to be confident about. And he says this, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteous, righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Let me, just, let me just say real quick, that's not that Paul did not sin. It's just that he understood when he did sin, he made atonement for that sin and, 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 and thus 
followed the law. Does it make sense? So he wasn't a perfect person. He's just saying, hey, I followed the law. When I sinned, I gave the sacrifice, or I did what I was supposed to do. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. So everything that I ever did, all the things that I memorized, all the, the hoops that I jumped through, and all the laws that I kept, and all the sacrifices that I made, he says, I count them all, listen, as worthless because of what Christ Jesus has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with him himself depends on faith. Let me just put this on the screen and, 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 and flush this out just a little bit. Human confidence produces pride, self-righteousness, or self-condemnation. Now, let me explain. As Paul's saying, hey, you want to show me your stuff? Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you who I am. And many of us, many of us, and I'm talking to myself here too, we, we can have this certain confidence in, in I was raised this way. I, I grew up in this environment. I've never done that. I've never done, and we, we, we start spouting off kind of like the, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and, and who did Jesus have more problems with than anybody? Religious people, those who thought they were righteous, yet they were not. Because it's not by human effort that we're made right with God, and Paul's just trying to say, hey, listen, if you're going to have confidence in anything, don't have confidence in who you are and who what you can do, and keeping the rules, and I'm not saying that we don't follow God and follow his word. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we don't put confidence in our own ability because we have absolutely nothing to offer. Anything that I have that was of any significance, well, Jesus, look at the way I was raised. Look at the church I was raised in. Look at all the things that I've done, all the prayers that I prayed, all the money that I've given, all the serve opportunities that that I've invested my life in. Look at me. It's garbage. And I'm not, to, I'm not trying to make you feel depressed today, but I'm just telling you, everything you've got to offer is garbage. Nothing. It's, it's like if you come over to my house and bring a gift, and I say, garbage. Get that out of my hair. Get that out of my house. Right? And, then, and I'm, Jesus is not saying that, but it's, Paul's saying it. He's just saying, hey, listen, don't count. Now, now it's, it goes the same with condemnation, because many of us, are not like the, the people who like think we got it all together and we're all that. Many of us, we know exactly what's wrong with us. We know exactly the bad decisions that we have made. And those things, listen to me, everybody look at me, those things haunt us. And, and when, we, when we put confidence in ourselves, good or bad, we either become prideful and arrogant and nobody wants to be around us, or we become loathing ourselves, we become self-condemning, and, and we just feel like we are losers on every side, and many of us struggle with this one. Aren't you glad that Paul says, hey guys, don't put confidence in who you are or in who you're not. Spiritual confidence produces humility and compassion. Spiritual confidence, is, it's all about Him. Nothing in my life, nothing that I have done or accomplished or kept the rules is anything significant. It's all Him. 
That's what confidence breeds. It breeds a spiritual confidence. Humility. Compassion. We don't look down on other people and say, hey, you got to raise up. Come on, man. Get out of that muck. Yes, we lovingly pull people along and help people that are caught in sin and, and do those things. But man, it's not because we're all that. It's because he's all that. Confidence is, has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with putting my confidence in him. So if you've been here and been down the road and you've made some bad decisions, and it just seems like you just can't, can't win for losing. It's just, I mean, I just can't do the right thing. Well, join the club. We don't put confidence in the good things or the bad things that we've done. We put confidence in him and what he's done, and that produces a humility in our lives, and it produces a compassion in our lives. Let me put on screen like this. Evidence of spiritual depth in our lives is finding our identity, that's a huge one, and our confidence, not in who we are, or in what we accomplish or not, but in Christ and Christ alone. This is the gospel. Guys, this is good. Number three, spiritual observation, spiritual focus. So Paul goes on. How many still with me? Say yes. All right, so spiritual focus, chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to read four verses. Let's read what he says. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. So I think it's important that he says that because, you know, in that, in that little we got spirit, yes we do thing with Paul, he's, he's just laying out, man, this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And then when he's talking about, no, but I put confidence in what Jesus has done. I want to know Christ. I want to experience everything. And he says, now, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I, this is NLT first edition, which I love the way it says this, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. I have that on my journal. I have a leather journal, a big one, two of them, one for spiritual stuff and one for work. And, and I have on that scripture, Philippians 3.12. I keep working for that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, I haven't, I've not achieved all these things. I, I don't know Christ the way I really want to know Christ. I keep working, though. I keep working, not to be approved by God. Jesus has already done that. I keep working so that I can be all that he wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm, not, I'm still not all I should be, but I am focusing. This is when I talk about spiritual focus. I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past, both good and bad, and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. A few questions that I have, and I'm asking myself these questions. Okay, not just you, asking myself. Do we really want to know Christ in his power? Oh, yes. Yes, John. I want to know him in his power. Oh, Lord Jesus, come in power in this country. And that's good. We want to. Do you want to know him in his suffering? No. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it's reality. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's go with the power. Let's go with the power thing. 
Paul says, I want to know, and, and again, the context here, and I'm not picking on the West, but in, you know, in, in, in Christianity in the West, I think we're a little entitled because biblical Christianity talks a lot about this. It does, and I know we don't like to talk about it, but it talks about that. that there's, there's this, yes, there's victory. Of course there's victory, and of course there's blessing and there's favor. But, but there's also, in the, in the realm of serving the Lord, Jesus said, in this life, you, in this world, you will have what? Everything you want? No. The answer is no. That's not a rhetorical question. No. <laughs> the answer is, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You will have challenges. Do we really want to know Christ in his power and his suffering and death? Next question. What are we working for in this life? Now, again, Paul is so down to earth, and he's not trying to be super spiritual here, that the only thing that we work for in this life is Jesus. We work for our family. We work for our retirement. We work for good things in this life. There's nothing wrong with that. This, that's part of life. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, so we've got to be careful not to be distracted. So he's not being super spiritual here and saying, hey, you only work for one thing, and that's Jesus. Of course, that's the overarching theme of our life. It should be that I keep working for that day when I will finally be. It, that should override anything else we're working for. Work, career, family, stuff, accumulation, all those things that can either be great or distracting, both and, over that, we're working to be all that he's called us to be. Next question is, what are we focusing on in this life? A little similar to that. What are we focusing on? What do you find you, yourself focusing on in this life? And let me put the last thing on the, on the screen. The answer to these questions help determine the level of our spiritual depth. And that is a hard thing to hear. Because, because I think we all struggle with self-centered, focused. Some of us are extremely focused individuals. And that's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's just, uh, let's just remember as Christ followers, our, our work and our focus is on being everything that he wants us to be. Don't get distracted by this life. This life is temporary. It is a vapor. Let us, let us work and focus. Let us know Him in His power and His resurrection and His suffering and His death. It's important. It really is. Number four, spiritual perspective. Now, this is the end, okay? So he's zooming out a little bit of, of the current life of our current problems, the whatever happens, he's zooming out and saying, hey, listen, at the end of this chapter, he's not saying at the end of the chapter, he didn't make the chapters up, we did, but he's just saying, hey, listen, final thought on this kind of thing, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, here's what he says, let all who are spiritually mature, this is why I titled this thing spiritual depth, because after all that he says, spiritual joy, spiritual confidence, Spiritual focus, in other words, I'm going to work for him and, and what he wants for me. The perspective is that this is really what maturity is all about. And he says it nicely. If you disagree at some point, you're wrong, but I believe God will make it plain to you, right? Like a normal type A. 
but he, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, you've got a lot of compassion here, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Listen to this. They're, God is their appetite. Does this sound like our culture a little bit? They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Doesn't that sound familiar? We fall into this trap as well. But we, this is the perspective, zoom out. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Here's the point. Here's the point. Let me put it on screen and we're done. Spiritual depth is developing a perspective that sees the bigger picture of the story of God and our role in that story. That's perspective. Doesn't mean that we don't have things going on here on this earth. Doesn't mean that, that, that politics doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that our country doesn't matter. That Russia and Ukraine and whatever, China, it doesn't matter. That, I mean, those things matter. And we, we, we spend prayer and we spend our diplomatic stuff and we do all of that. I'm not saying any of those things. Paul's not saying, hey, stick your head in the sand and, and just sing la, la, la. But spiritual depth is developing the ability to zoom out from whatever it is that we're experiencing, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, good or bad, and seeing the bigger picture that God is in control. He's got a story, and we have a part in that story. So let me ask you a question to end this. How many believe that God is in control of our country? How many believe that? Raise your hand. How many believe God's in control of the world? How many believe he's in control of our country no matter who's president? Perspective is that we don't get wrapped up in the emotional fear that comes with things that we don't like. Depth Spiritual maturity is that we find joy in the middle of our circumstances. Spiritual maturity is that we put our confidence, not in who we are, but in what he's done. Spiritual depth is spiritual focus, that I'm going to remain focused and constant and consistent and working to be all that he's called me to be so that I can be the light to this world. Spiritual depth is perspective. It's being able to, to, to see the bigger picture of what's going on and that God is sovereign and that He is on the throne. And we can pray and we can get involved. Of course we can. We need to. But we are not citizens of this world. We are, as Peter says, we're aliens and strangers here. Our perspective is bigger. Our reality is greater in that we follow him. And he's got it all under control. We can trust him. So today, 
two things or two groups of people that need to adjust. If you've never, as in Philippians 2 says, bowed your knee to Jesus, confessed Jesus. It says in Philippians 2, we just read it last week, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe for some of us, maybe you're watching online in your bedroom, in your living room, in your hotel room, wherever you are, and you're just like, and I've never bowed, I've never accepted the invitation that Jesus invites me to forgiveness and eternal life. And all we do is we just surrender. In other words, my way is not the best way. Your way is the best way. And I want to surrender my life to you. Some of us, that's the adjustment that we need to make today. We need to surrender our lives. Now, some of us that are already, who are already believers, we need to make some adjustments. We, we're, we're too focused on this world. We're too focused, perhaps, on our th- stuff. And we're forgetting the bigger picture of all the people on the planet who should walk in joy, it's us. Of all the people on the planet who should walk in humility and the confidence that Jesus brings, it's us. Of all the people on the planet who should be focused on things that are above, as Colossians says, not not things here, but things above, it's us. If anybody on the planet should have a perspective that is bigger than the now, it's us. So we need to make an adjustment. I encourage you, as you read Philippians 3 this week, what is God saying to you? What is, what is the Holy Spirit, what is He going to shine a spotlight on your life and mine? Because I'm asking myself all these same questions. Spiritual joy, spiritual confidence, spiritual focus, and spiritual perspective. Lean in. Lean into these. And that's really going to put depth in your life. Lord, your word is, is unbelievably powerful. And, and when we receive it, it, it makes a difference. And there are some of us that, that have a hard time receiving it. Some of us fight receiving it. It's like, you know, I don't like that. Well, there's a lot of things we don't like. I pray that, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would make clear the areas in our lives, whoever we are, whether it's bowing our knee for the first time or it's adjusting to a spiritual depth that we have forgotten. May you speak to us. May you light our path for a deeper way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.